0: Hello, I'm Rolf Fontanelle. This is the Schwepp, the Secret History of Western Esotericism podcast, and today we are delighted to welcome back to the podcast Professor Matteo Martelli, Professor of History of Science at the University of Bologna, principal investigator in a really important ERC-funded project called Alchemist, investigating the whole kind of uh, history transmission and so on of alchemy in the Eastern Mediterranean region and points further east even which we are going to come back and talk about on its own. But today, we are going to talk about the one, the only, the great, Zosimus of Panopolis. Matteo, thanks so much for coming back and talking to us.
1: Thank you for for the invitation and for having me back in in this uh, wonderful series of podcasts, actually. I'm very happy to be here again.
0: Top man. Now, when last we spoke, we introduced the pseudo Democritus, a foundational document of alchemy, Coming from, you know, some time in the imperial period. Pretty level-headed stuff. No one's going to look at that and have a problem putting it into the context of history of science, right? Now, when we enter into the world of Zosimus of Panopoulos, our next really, really important Greco-Roman alchemist whose work survives, this, now things are getting weird, Right? So more complicated more complicated, more, complicated. <laughs> um, more like what people think of when they think of alchemy, to be honest, right <laughs> more spiritual stuff, more kind of yeah, we'll get into all that so before we get into all that, tell us about Zosimus, who is Zosimus? when does he live? What are the basics of this guy's biography okay
1: this, this, uh, I think this is the starting point of this uh, conversation because. Usually, in the, in the let's say handbooks on the history of ancient alchemy, Zosimus is presented as the first historical figure of the Greek-Egyptian alchemy, because he's not a pseudonym; he's a proper name. He's a person, a real person, actually. That, and we we don't know too much, let say, about his life because all the information basically comes from his own writings. But we know. For sure, they said that Zosimos was active in the between the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth century. And he, he was born in Panopolis. Panopolis is a city in the Middle Egypt, it actually, is the capital of one of the Noms, the nomoi, so of the districts of the um, region called Tebais in ancient Greek, that is the, 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 the region in the south of Egypt. And that's also why in some text, Zosimus is, is said to, to be from uh, Tebis, Tibis, not, not from, from Panopolis, but we, we know that is from Panopolis, this is quite certain. Let's say Panopolis is the modern city of Achmin. And uh, then what? There is um, uh, a Byzantine Lexicon Encyclopedia, the Suda, we will mention it again, I think, today.
0: Yeah, our and, listeners uh, yeah. know the Suda, I think. We cite the Suda quite a bit. And the, the nice thing about the Suda now is that a lot of it is online, so listeners can yeah, yeah, easily yeah, go check, exactly. check there it is out. Exactly. This for
1: wonderful project on the, the Suda Online that where there are translations of many entries and, and the entry on Zosimus report that Zosimus is from Alexandria. But this is quite easy to, to explain because we know that Zosimus traveled in, in Egypt let's say, towards the, the north of Egypt. So he, he visited, he went to Alexandria. He mentions the, the wonderful library of the Serapeum you of know, the temple of Serapis. And actually, we know that he went also to Memphis because he reports to have seen Pharnais uh, uh, in uh, Oven, the temple of Memphis. And uh, so this is a quite interesting detail for, for, uh, for alchemy, actually. And uh, this is more or less what we know about his life. He's very much attached to a figure, a a female, actually, alchemist, Theosebia, who is uh, the addressee of many writings of the that survive. We know very little about Theosebia. We know that she was part of a circle of people interested in alchemy, into alchemy, and there are other names, the names of other women as well. Tafnuti, for instance, that is an Egyptian name. That is another person, woman, actually, that was part of this circle. And this circle was also somehow influenced by a priest called Nilos. This is another figure, another character in the writings of Zosimus. And we know that the, actually Zosimus got quite angry against the Nilos because he, he, there are very bitter criticism against the way in which Nilos would have performed a chemical a chemical operation. And just uh, more or less what we know about Closimus uh, and his life.
0: So this is like the first appearance of something that's going to happen a lot in the history of alchemy, which is one alchemist railing against a whole other school of alchemists being like, they're yeah. idiots, they're fools, they don't understand. So this is what he's doing with this, this guy, Nilos. Just a few notes on names. Nilus is the Nile. That's his. He's just Nile. called Nile. Yeah. And uh, Theosebeia is an interesting name. I don't want to put any real weight on this, but it's it's just interesting that Theosebea is exactly what the Hermetic writings, the Hermetic, the theoretical Hermetic writings say is what humans have to have. It's it's sort of like piety or. Um, proper respect for the gods that's what her name means exactly. Exactly. and
1: be- that's, that's the, the literal translation of the Ozebe.
0: so and, because uh, the hermetica may come into this discussion i thought i would just note that, that we can't actually draw any conclusions from that but it's interesting i guess now what about maria one other lady that we maybe want to mention right at the beginning my,
1: this- that's, that, that's something that I think is very interesting in Zosimus' works. Then maybe we can mention which are the main, most important writings by Zosimus. But I think what we can see in these uh, treatises is these, uh, basically this uh, kind of attitude that has, be- has been described for later alchemical tradition as practical exegesis. This is a a label that I like very much was used, was introduced by Jennifer Rampling, working on, uh, let's say, in medieval English literature. I think the the idea is that Zosimus is looking back to the earlier tradition, and Maria was one of the the main authors that uh, are at the basis of of the alchemical text by Zosimus, is trying to interpret the words by these fathers or mothers, actually in this case of Alchemy. And, uh, and try to, on the one hand, to, to establish a tradition. So these are the main authors for anyone interested in an alchemical discourse. And on the other hand, to reinterpret his earlier tradition in the light of his own achievements and also understanding, of alchemy. So I think, and Maria, is, along with Pseudo-Democritus, are the two main let's say authorities that are at the basis, at the core, let's say, of, of those whose writings. Because he's mentioning Maria and uh, Pseudo-Democritus many many times in, his, in what remains of his of his work. And Maria is particularly important, I mean Maria is the the inventor of the Ben Marie, Balneum Maria in the Latin tradition, the specific uh, way of, of boiling uh, Stuff,
0: yeah, so, so next time you're at like a sort of industrial catering type scenario, like a cafeteria or something, and there's some yeah, sort that's, that's, of overcooked vegetables inside a pan, which is inside some boiling water, you yeah, exactly. can thank Maria, the, the Jewess. You
1: with two vessels, yeah. one up of the other with boiling water in the lower vessel. And this tells us something about the link between these earlier stages of alchemy and the kitchen uh, Uh, let's say, science, the science of the kitchen, if you want, you know. And uh, we we, we have a very interesting passage in one of the texts by Zosimus, where Zosimus is in the house of Theosibia, and they are looking at one of the alchemical texts that were in the library of this woman, and uh, they are reading about a specific apparatus. And uh, in order to understand how it works, they go to the kitchen, And they look at what actually is done in the kitchen of uh, Theosavia's house. So this link with cuisine, if you want, is is there. I love it. In this this phase of alchemy. And Maria was very important for Zosimos at least, uh, as uh, the first uh, writer who described alchemical equipment and apparatuses.
0: So she's a, a source for technical knowledge on how to set up your laboratory. We don't know... Her writing, though, do we aside from Zosimus? So she's like lost to us completely.
1: There are texts ascribed to Maria that are preserved in Arabic. This is a, so we we have a kind of Eastern tradition that is linked to the name of Maria, but in Greek the only information that we have is from Zosimus. Very few passages uh, uh, recorded in Byzantine chemical manuscripts attributed to Maria, but just ten lines. So right. Zosimus is our main source.
0: Yeah. So. He's writing in Greek, he's living in Egypt, he has a student, a group of students, uh, yep. Theosebia being the, the one that he addresses the most stuff to. He also has his lineage of people he's following, so Democritus and Maria the Jewess. Now, what does he write? What is the Zosiman Corpus? I mean, maybe the first thing to mention... um us say
1: what, what we have is yeah. actually a constellation of texts.
0: Yeah. In Greek. Tell us Let's about start that.
1: Start with the Greek. That is the language in which he wrote his own treatises, actually. And we, we know that he wrote 28 books on Chemia, that is the ancient name for chemistry. This is what actually the Lexicon Swidas tells us. And we know that each book was marked by a Greek letter, a letter of the Greek alphabet. From here we have the first problem. We know that the Greek, the, the Greek alphabet has 24 letters, not 28. So why yep. 28 books? That's a, a question, a philological question that, that many scholars try to solve and they propose different hypotheses. If you want, we can enter into details, but this is interesting. We, we have these, these books, actually. But these books are transmitted in the Greek tradition in a kind of epitomized version. So they were summarized they were reorganized in different uh, compendia or compilations, if you want. And what we have in Greek are these compilations. And this is also one of the problems we have when we want to read Zosimus today. Because the only complete edition of Zosimus is still a ruel edition, the, the collection des anciens archimistes Greek there are a lot of problems about attributions because uh, Bertrand Ruel relied on later alchemical manuscripts and so many texts that in that collection are attributed to Zosimus are not by Zosimus, actually. That's one of the problems right. that, that modern scholars have to face. But now we, we know that, say, these compendia, these compilations, are the main, say, of the most important compilations are three, a group of texts that is usually labeled as the authentic uh, memoirs, or the authentic, uh, say, commentaries, gnesia upomnemata in Greek. Upomnema means also personal note, actually. Yeah, and no these books. are most interesting and intriguing group of texts, because the most famous, let uh, say, writings by Zosimus belong to this group. The, the, the dreams of Zosimus are in this group. All the section about the, the, the laboratory, so the, the one in which Zosimus mentions Maria are there, and also on the letter Omega. That is the only treatise in which we can see in Greek this a close connection between a letter of the alphabet and uh, the title of, of a specific uh, writing. Right. Two other groups of texts, chapter two, Eusebia, we, we just talked about there. And this, these are actually a kind of compilation of uh, quotations from earlier treatises where actually Zosimus tried to interpret this, uh, this, uh, this kind of knowledge that he, he inherited by, by the in, from the earlier tradition and the chapter to Theodorus and Theodorus is another name of another Byzantine person to which uh, one of these compilation was addressed. And then we have two texts that are, let's say, not part of compilations and these are the the final account, where we have all the history about, the, let's say, the opportune or the, the, the propitious tinctures and, the, and of the demons that are hiding the alchemical knowledge. This is an interesting point in Zosim's uh, alchemy. And uh, the book of Sophie, where we do have one of the first, of the earliest occurrences of the term chemia, so of the term alchemy. This is a kind of picture for, for at least for what we have in Greek.
0: Okay. Now, am I right to think that all of this Greek comes to us through two main manuscripts? There's Marcianus Graecus 299. Yeah.
1: And, and Parisinus Graecus 2527.
0: Right. The so, so, our knowledge of these, this huge body of Greek surviving work, comes to us through a process curated by. East Roman scriptoria, which again is something we can talk about next time, but we don't have uh, manuscripts to compare and and improve readings, like if there's a corruption in the text, we can't necessarily say what it is. uh, Absolutely, this is one of the problems. Sometimes we have Eastern
1: translations. So, because uh, you know, what is interesting from also a textual point of view is to, when it's possible, is to compare this Greek material with what we have in Syriac uh, and in Arabic, because of course, in some cases there are some overlapping. In others, we have only maybe the Eastern translation and no longer the original Greek. So in that case, Syriac and Arabic are the only testimonies that say to the to the original words by by Zosimus.
0: And you've worked on the Syriac material, correct?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to edit the the, the Syriac Zosimus at the
0: moment. Yeah, brilliant. We, we so- have
1: 12 or 13 books mainly a collection of recipes with, with, with a lot of also information about the, the cultural context, actually, that are preserved in Syriac. In the Syriac manuscript kept in Cambridge actually.
0: So we have Zosimus that we would not have otherwise in Syriac. We yeah. do in Arabic as well, and we'll talk about that with uh, Absolutely. Dr. Absolutely. Benkhalem. We have a lot of uh,
1: yeah, new material in Syriac that is not uh, no, no longer available in in,
0: in, Greek, in, in Greek original form. And briefly... Or, or at length, if you think is worth it, in the bits where we have overlap between Syriac and Greek, yeah, what does that look like? Does it look like the the Syriac translator or translators was doing a decent job?
1: Well, when we do have overlapping, yes, I think that there okay. is, is a quite faithful translation of, of the Greek text and, and for for all the technical. Uh, terminology, for instance, or the technical vocabulary, the Syriac is a kind of calc of the Greek. So we have a lot of Greek terms just transliterated into Syriac. Got it. Mm. Way, yeah. So it's a, it's a nice job.
0: For those who are not nerds of this sort of stuff, a calc is precisely what Matteo just described. It's when you take uh, the Greek word kemeia um, and then just try to write that in Syriac letters. And that's yeah, Syriac
1: letters. exactly so
0: So that's, that's what that is. So that's our, our picture. We have actually a lot by this guy. We have reason to think that there's a lot more that's lost. And we have in the, the classic translation, or the, I should say the classic edition and translation of Berthelot and Ruel, we have a lot of stuff that is attributed to Zosimus, which probably doesn't belong to yeah. Zosimus. Now, the Mémoires Authentiques, the, the authentic memoirs, have had a, a quite a recent edition in that same series, Lettres which is uh, translated by Michel Mertens, and it, this came out in 2019. So they're still working on Zosimus, clearly. Absolutely. This, the,
1: the edition by Michel Mertens is a foundational work for Zosimus today because for, for, for part of his work, now we have a, a, a critical, reliable edition with a very nice translation and a rich commentary. So that's this really a uh, kind of gate into, into Zosimus' work.
0: But we don't have, and this is something that really blows my mind, we don't have like a single one-stop shop, like works of Zosimus of Panopolis in a in a scholarly tradition. It's like this sort of piecemeal. One scholar just decided, I'm really interested in this this collection. I'm going to do a, a great critical edition of it, but it's not part of a larger series of like everything of Zosimus, right?
1: No, not not yet. Let's say at the beginning, I think Michel Mertens wanted to publish the whole Greek Zosimus in, in, in the same series in the, the lettre in Collection the series. And then if she stopped, she's still working actually, as far as I know, with the other material by Thosimus. But we don't have at the moment, a single book where we can find everything that we that is, has been preserved under Thosimus' name. This is something that would be a dream for a historian of, yeah. uh, not, not only of alchemy, of uh, ancient, say, science uh, and many other aspects.
0: Mm. <laughs> and you'll be part of that, I'm sure. Um,
1: yeah, at the moment, my, my, my goal, my personal goal is to have uh, the full uh, corpus of Zosimus of, of uh, preserved in Syriac, edited with English translation and in a, a short commentary for the moment. This is my, what, what I'm working on at the
0: moment. We, we know as much as we're going to know about who he was, where he lived. We know what survives of what he wrote. What's in what he wrote? What does he yes. write about? Okay, so we know already that there's some alchemical vessels that are discussed. So there's lots of technical stuff on how to do things. Just taking the technical side for a second, I'd like to expand it out afterwards because with um, the pseudo Democritus, you almost can just stick with the technical and not, yeah, there isn't yeah. much else. But with the there's so much more. But just sticking with technical stuff, like how would you characterize the general types of things you can do? Like that that the, chem, the, the chemist or the chemist or whatever the alchemist is interested in doing and what kind of recipes does he give? What's all the sort of technical side of things?
1: It's, it's, very, it's very difficult to, to, to find uh, or, or to, to, let's say, to detect the uh, kind of general uh, ways in which uh, Zosimus performed alchemical. Uh, because it's really trying to, on the one hand, to preserve a very rich tradition. So we have hundreds of recipes that are basically preserved under the name of Zosimus, especially in Syria, for instance. So it's uh, He's trying to, to maybe to group together procedures according to the, to the metals, to the kind of metal that was actually at the center of his interest. So we have books on copper, books on, on mercury, and I think mercury is a central topic in his alchemy, and books on sulfur, books on, on how to make a metallic mirrors. Actually, this is something also quite interesting, and how to how to make statues, metallic statues, and, and this is uh, the link with with the with all the Egyptian craftsmanship, I think, and also with the, all this tradition of the of the say temples and and all the craftsmen that were, were working around um, Egyptian temples. And so these these are. If you want to find a word that characterizes the, the alchemical approach of Dosimos, I would say that the, a kind of deep uh, tincture or deep dye is, is, is the key around which uh, his idea of uh, transformation of matter in, in terms of uh, chemistry, say, is, is based. Or, or, because when, when he talk about the earliest stages of alchemy and so the tradition to which is looking back, I think it always talks about how to dye, how to color a metal in order to change its essence, its nature, we would say, today. Mm. So this is the central uh, idea. And then uh, there is uh, the idea of uh, a kind of common constituent of of all metals, maybe all the material world, that is identified with specific substances, especially mercury. And uh, another very important technical aspects of his alchemist are the so-called divine waters or waters of sulphur, because these are the basically the main dyeing or coloring liquids or components that alchemists try to to make in order to, to treat uh, say metals and so these are maybe the, the one of the keys of 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 Zosimus. Uh, technical alchemy, if you want. Because it's not very easy to distinguish the technical aspect from what, the, what some people call the spiritual aspects. All the, because this is... A, when we introduce this kind of distinction, I think, eh, we already are quite uh, distant from Zosimus' work. So that's one of the problems, I think, in, in modern interpretations of alchemy, and also in, in, of Zosimus in particular. When we, we try to we We tend to distinguish- some categories that are for us are obvious, but for for someone living in the third century uh, greco Roman egypt was maybe were very different, and he had a completely different kind of mindset you know, way in which he was looking at his own activities
0: but yeah,
1: maybe we can go back to this in a
0: moment yeah, so thank you for pointing that out that's crucial, right, because so much interpretation of alchemy has swung well, I think under the influence of Jung, more than anything else, has swung in this direction where anything technical is a kind of spiritual allegory, (laughs) and it's all really about the human self transforming, then there's been a kind of swing of the pendulum in the other direction, quite rightly, saying, no, I think these people are actually working in laboratories, making stuff, right, which is blatantly true. But what can we learn from that? pendulum swing is probably that maybe the whole kind of spirituality over here, material laboratory work over here, dichotomy is just our dichotomy and it wasn't their Absolutely. dichotomy.
1: I think that's a way in which we, we, we try to, you know, to emphasize different aspects of, of the same activity, basically, because when we think about a chemical activity or a chemical reaction, we think something about very modern, of course, this yeah. is a way in which, uh, you know, chemical elements react or interact with each other. But uh, what is very, I think, a, a crucial point for Zosimos was, was the idea of uh, embodiment, so something that, how something can become a body and how a body can become a spirit. Mm. And this idea is something that you can trace in his alchemy, in uh, all the references that he, he makes to the Hermetic uh, tradition, to Hermetic writings, to writings ascribed to Hermes, but for him, Hermes was the father of alchemy, so the the, the one who revealed the, the original natural tinctures. That is something very alchemical. We just talk about dyes and all these technical aspects. But he was also the, the author of... Uh, the Corpus Hermeticum. Okay, so the, so we, we still use uh, you know a kind of dichotomy that maybe goes back to to Festugere in the way in which he, he framed all all his discourse on on uh, the alchemical on, on the hermetic tradition. But these these two aspects of, of the Hermetica are, are are present at the same time in the mind of the same author. That in that in our case it's those
0: yeah. That's why I think why every, you know, in the, in the recent works on the Hermetica that have, have really been trying to form a synthesis of all the previous scholarship, I'm thinking especially of Anna van der Kirchev and Christian Boll and uh, yeah. Jean-Pierre Mahé as well. They emphasize Egypt. They emphasize how this is all, there's Hermetic literature and we might want to say Philosophic Hermetica or Theoretical Hermetica Um, over here and technical hermetic over here we have very little evidence to think that people were doing that in antiquity whoever put together the corpus hermeticum probably was making a distinction like that because there's no recipe books in the corpus hermeticum but that's a late compilation that might even go to like you know 11th century or something we don't we don't know when it shows up i think so forget that distinction right when thinking about what hermetic is about to someone like Zosimus, but Anna and Christian both make a huge amount of the evidence from Zosimus in reconstructing hermetic ways of thinking in late antiquity.
1: Yeah, because I think Zosimus is really one of the the few examples of someone who was an hermetic uh, philosopher, if you want, performing alchemy that uh, had his own circle of uh, Pupils, so we, we can reconstruct a bit of the, of the social context, if you want. And it was actually describing his own activity. That it was an alchemical activity by using uh, categories and uh, concepts, ideas that we find in in the so-called, uh, you know, philosophical alchemy. So this, there is really this this two a synergy, if you want, that is there, and that is. If you if we take just a one, one, one part one side of this synergy, we, we don't have a full a complete picture of what Diosimos was doing, actually. because of course his uh, his main interest was in uh, transforming uh, matter, mm. okay? because this was uh, what alchemy was about: how to transform, how to perfect matter. Actually, it was just not not a transformation; it was making matter perfect or or somehow to, to try to implement, uh, say, the, some some features, some characteristics of, of the, the materials he was working with. But this idea of uh, of uh, making a matter perfect uh, was basically achieved, or this perfection of matter was achieved through the manipulation of of many ingredients that were sometimes uh, classified as spirits. That and this idea of as I was telling you a few minutes ago, of, of making bodies, spirits, and putting the spirits back into the body, all this procedure was something that fit very well, you know, in, in the idea of of a spiritual also transformation. And
0: now let's let's talk about pneuma in Zosimus, if we can, because to contextualize that, when we talked about Democritus a few years ago, I was thinking about alchemy, and I got back to you with a little follow-up question, like, does pneuma appear in Democritus? Are there spirits in Democritus? You're like, nope. So somewhere between Democritus and Zosimus, the idea that, that there are these things called pneumata appears. Now, let's just think about this term for a second. We know that in early Greek medical writing, some, some of the Hippocratic texts talk about pneuma, and it has something to do with breath. I mean, the term originally means breath, basically. But it's been taken on by the Stoics. to mean this sort of material body but that's incredibly subtle but it interpenetrates the entire universe and it's god and it's fire and it's pneuma so we have to think we're not thinking in terms of an atomistic world right so it's not like you could chop the pneuma up enough and you'd finally get to the smallest piece it's like it's just extensive it's like solid but subtle then in in paul of tarsus We've seen a whole new deployment. And in the Gnostic text, we've seen a really interesting deployment of this idea of pneuma, which is that this is like this sort of, this is where spiritual the term spiritual in modern English really goes back more to this stuff, where you can use the pneuma to understand the inner meaning of a text. You can have, you know, a spiritual understanding. You can be a spiritual like in Valentinian Christianity, you can be a spiritual person, pneumatikos, you're going to have gnosis. But if you're psychikos, if you're a soul person or a body person, so pneuma has now come to mean something to do with knowledge. It's come to mean something to do with divine possession in a good way, like God, when God wants to kind of like fill you with his spirit, it's, it's a pneuma. Pneuma has also come to ter- be used to refer to what we would call spirits, like even demons, bad spirits can sometimes be called pneumata. So that's some background on this term, the ways it's been used and tossed around and evolved. What does Zosimus mean by it, right? Because, again, when we sit down in a bar and order spirits and they say, would that be whiskey or vodka? You know, you can trace that technological thing of distilling alcohol out of a wine or something like that right the way back to these alchemists, right, who are experimenting with distillation and stuff. So that's the spirit that the whiskey is the spirit of the grain stuff you made, right? But what is it to Zosimus? What is but, it?
1: That's, that's a good question, actually, uh, and it's, it's also a difficult one because, first of all, the distinction between pneuma and and soul and psyche in Greek in in, in Zosimus text sometimes is not clear cut.
0: Sometimes
1: oh. it seems that he uses the two terms uh, as a kind of synonyms, at least in some passages. For, for sure, pneuma or Zosimus is the is the subter- Part of any material, let's say, that can be extracted from from, the, from this body, and this is the, the the idea of distillation, actually by distilling, as, as you, you were mentioning, and is very often linked to the idea of fire. And uh, it, it seems that not only by distilling something you you can extract pneuma, but also if you if you burn something, for instance. if you if you apply a very strong fire on some material. And you, you can also have, have some hashes full of pne- pneuma ah. because the fire is like kept inside this, this material and the material that has been heated has to fight fire. So it becomes something that is no longer volatile and can be used in an alchemical operation. So the way in which pneuma is also as a, as a fire can work inside the Say the matter is complicated if you want. We have different forms in which we can manipulate pneuma according to those to And And the, the main idea is that the pneuma is, in, in a chemical context, of course, the, the, the dying spirit. So, what actually is, is the color of a substance, so something that be transferred from one body into another. Because the idea is how I can transform. Say, lead into, into gold. How can I change the nature of lead just by, by transferring the, the spirit of gold into, into lead? This is the idea of, of uh, transformation, say, so transmutation in the Dozimus alchemy. So I think the question of so spiritual alchemy, if you want, if we take spiritual in a literal sense, these are, these are spirits, okay? But then we have uh, some text in Dosimus. Uh, like the dreams, where actually these, all these processes are presented as something anthropomorphic. So we have bodies, we have human bodies that are boiled in, uh, you know, in, in huge alambics, alambics, or that are basically treated, manipulated, and transformed into pneumata, into spirits. And, and, and I think this is one of the. Most crucial and also intriguing question that someone can find in those texts. We all find this, uh, if you want, spiritual aspects of what people would expect when you use this spiritual, you know, as as a term. We we find most of the evidence about the spiritual alchemy in dreams, in those And why dreams? Yes, something quite peculiar. I mean, it's not there is no, of course, there are. There are discussion about, about pneuma more in line with the hermetic corpus in some of the, of the other writings, like for instance, in, on the letter Omega, where he's quoting, actually, hermetic text, and he talks about the, the body and the pneuma. So in that case, we are more or less in a, in a more familiar framework. We can read all these texts in the light of the hermetic corpus. Mm -hmm. And I know, it's quite sure that Zosimus knew the Hermetic corpus, so he tried to make a connection between this corpus and his own uh, workshop activities, if you want. But then when he talked about the the most intriguing and also famous images about, you know, this uh, spiritual transformation of the alchemist himself, because this is one of the points, we we find all these references in texts that are basically describing dreams. And this is, uh, I think, uh, this is an open question. I don't have an answer, actually, to be honest. And uh, this is something that just is just there. Most of the evidence about this uh, this aspect of uh, Zosimus' alchemy are in these dreams that sometimes are called visions. But I think yeah. it's not right this, this label because it's very explicit. I mean, it tells us that he's, he falls asleep, he has these dreams, he, w- he wakes up, and yeah. he tries to explain these dreams, okay? <laughs> and if we read the, the Arabic tradition, we have a, a lot of dreams. Of the, mm. So all the, let's the, 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 say, the, 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 the pieces of evidence that we have in Greek, we have only three texts, basically three dreams, uh, in Greek uh, corpus, uh, and can be expanded through the Arabic tradition. And in Arabic tradition, it's exactly the same. There is this treatise that, that is the book of the keys of Democritus, where basically Zosimus tries to, to explain Democritus' recipes. And very often, he falls asleep he dreams of something, and then you know he he explains, he describes what he dreams. He
0: has the eureka moment, and he wakes up. Yeah. He's like, oh, "Ah, yeah. I've oh, got it.
1: it!" You know, pseudo it, it, it happened to me as well to, to fall asleep. Yeah, I wasn't working on I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, but you know this, this, so. Why dreams are so central, you know, in 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 those most chemical discourse. I think this, this is a question that wasn't really addressed because when we talk about dreams, we have Jung in yeah. We know that Jung, Jung's interpretation is very tricky and, and it's not historical. I mean, it doesn't capture, you know, the, the, the cultural and, and, the, and, and also the intellectual context of the 3rd century Greek age. But in any case, we have dreams there. And I don't think that an approach like, you know, this is a literary fiction. This is just a language. So it's those who most made up, this, you know, these this kind of accounts or fictions, where it's it's not like that, because it doesn't make any sense why to introduce this uh, oniric dimension, you know, in the way in which we explain uh, alchemy. I think this is is a a question that uh, I personally would like to to explore further in Mm. future research. Why is the most uh, explicit uh, references to the spiritual uh, alchemy, are actually in dreams.
0: If I could add two things to that, one is um, you know translate, often translated as visions, as you say, and maybe that's a bit misleading. The one way it, in which it isn't misleading is that for moderns like us, very often, not like us, but like a lot of modern people, when you think of a dream, you, instant, you immediately think fantasy, not real. In the antique world, people were more likely to think dream, possible divine revelation. Right. So a dream is a place where gods can appear to you and the dead can appear to you in ways that they can't normally when you're awake and they really appear to you. So there's that thing. Like dreams can be super authoritative in antiquity. So, right.
1: And, and, and Zosimus dreams are full of gods. Now. Sometimes very weird gods, but in any case they are presented as gods.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if we look at the iconography of gods from his time on carved gems In Temple Statuary, I mean, it gets as weird as you want. As weird as you want to get, they have it, you know? But the other thing I wanted to add to what you've just said that I think brings out its significance, it doesn't go anywhere toward answering the question of why dreams, why the specific ways, Zosimus. I'm going to leave you to figure that one out. But here we suddenly have another piece of what we think of when we think of alchemy, right? These... I mean, let's call them allegorical figures, even though we're we're saying this isn't allegory, but these figures who obviously stand for chemical processes, right? A green man, you know, a a woman who's dying and then she's reborn. This this kind of stuff that we think this is just how alchemy expresses itself. And it will continue to do so right to the 17th, 18th century. You know, this language of images, it's in Zosimus. It's not in Pseudo-Democritus. It's like it appears on our radar, in Zosimus. Absolutely. This is a, actually a peculiar, the same mark of Zosimus'
1: alchemy, and uh, these dreams are, are really something that appears with him eh, in his writings. So and that's why I think that answering the question, why, is, uh, and in which I think that, I mean, there are other scientific dreams. Let me use this, <laughs> this, this term or terminology in antiquity. We have all the medical tradition. We know that uh, in the Asclepia, for instance, yeah. there, are, there were sick people going to, 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 to these temples. They were dreaming different gods that were suggesting uh, therapies that then were interpreted by the physicians. So that there was this kind of uh, uh, dialogue between uh, what we would call a scientist uh, or a physician and a kind of, of religious aspect of the therapy. And so I, I don't know if that there is any connection between between this kind of uh, practice and uh, what Zosimus uh, uh, basically describes. Also because it's not very... We know that this uh, incubation, this is called the, the medical literature, was also performed in Egypt and, uh, and was also linked to Egyptian gods, Serapis, uh, for instance. Mm. It's, a, it's a god that very often appears in these uh, medical dreams. But, uh, of course, the images uh, in Zosimus are more vivid, they say stronger, also with a lot of violence, actually. So it's, uh, that is not exactly the same. We don't find exactly the same kind of language in the, in the, the medical tradition. But I think that the, the dreams in this, uh, in this discourse play some kind of role that should be better understood, I think. Also in order to answer the question why Dosimus introduces this anthropomorphic description of, of alchemical
0: procedures in this specific part of his work. Mm. So, yeah, listeners who, who haven't heard them may want to check out our interview with Gil Renberg, where we just talk about mostly the cult of Asclepius, but certainly talk about incubation and medical incubation. And our, our episode we did on Alias Aristides, who is... A...
1: It was about mentioning yeah. Alias Aristides, because this is, you know, the key testimony <laughs> to this uh, incubation... Processes the, yeah, and world Aristides
0: world. is really fascinating from the dreams perspective as well, because like Zosimus, sometimes he says, I had a dream and this is what I saw. And he also mm-hmm. does something very fascinating, which we see in the Hermetic poem andres which is to evoke that hypnagogic state between dreams and waking. He'll occasionally say, I don't know if I was awake or asleep, but the god appeared to me at the roof at the foot of my bed and presented me this, or I saw Isis and she said this, like um so there's this evocation of the the not sleep or awake state, which I find very fascinating. That I think Aristides might be our best evidence for from antiquity. So we've got Zosimus, who's clearly busily working in the laboratory. Presumably he has you know books. He started with texts. Maybe he had a teacher as well, and he's learned some stuff. But he's experimenting. He's an experimenter. He's he's exploring, right? Yeah. Now, so I guess. I want to ask you two questions. One is because I know you're involved in the kind of scholarship that likes to do chemical experiments in the lab and see what happens, right? So how much of Zosimus's alchemy can we kind of reconstruct in terms of modern chemistry and say, oh, he must have been doing this or this? What's that about? And then the second question I want to ask is going totally in the other direction, even though we're trying to destroy this uh, dichotomy. And uh, talking about where he famously says, you know, spit on matter and flee the body and yeah. go up to the noose, right? Where he gets very hermetic. And then maybe after we talk about these two th- sides of the coin, we can recombine them somehow. But first of all, like, what what about the chemistry side of it? What about reconstruct? What about doing Zosimus stuff in the lab? We have been experimenting with different
1: aspects of, of alchemy, of Zosimus alchemy, on the, the way in which he describes how to make a synapse and because this is very important in this idea of uh, matter of metallic matter that is made of different principles and these principles can be actually spirits, so something volatile like sulfur, mercury that when combined together they get, let's say, solid so they they become a body and this idea of uh, making bodies, uh, not not only extracting spirits out of a body, is uh, an many procedures that he describes can be actually performed in a, in a modern lab, like combining sulfur and mercury to make cinnabar, artificial cinnabar. It works very well. Now we are experimenting on divine water and we know that the, the recipes that the, what is already in the laden papyrus can actually dye silver very, very nicely and it becomes a kind of uh, actually golden piece of metal. And uh, There are different formulas of divine waters that Dozimus provides hundreds of formulas, actually, in his his treatises. So we're we're trying to to replicate different methodologies. So the the weeks before Christmas, we were trying to distill eggs, because this is an important part, in order to see whether we can produce something that is similar, chemically similar to to the water of sulfur. And uh, apparently it's possible to have something that uh, has these dying uh, procedures, uh, but we are still working on this. So I think there are many aspects of, of Zosimus alchemy that can be reproduced in modern laboratory, And the result is uh, the use of vitriols uh, to make, uh, for instance, uh, coloring uh, solutions for iron. So there, there are many. Uh, and all the question of how to make uh, copper black or bronze actually, that this was a very important aspect, Egyptian metallurgy. So all these aspects can be somehow reconstructed or, st- or studied from, from a technical point of view, also in modern labs, with sometimes astonishing results in terms of colors. Of, and the, the passage that you quoted on, on the spiritual alchemy that you have to spit, you know, matter and then to... To, to leave your, your your soul or your spirit to freeze away something like that. I think this that's one of the few passages where let's say there is this strong rejection of, of matter. And this is at the end of a very specific passage where basically Zosimus is trying to instruct Eusebia how to to free herself from the let's say the influence
0: of the demons. That's something we yeah. haven't talked about, actually. The, the, the yeah. as, and daimones is, and maybe astral stuff as well is yeah. probably important. And,
1: and this is another very important part in, in Zosim's alchemy, All, the way in which he tried to reconstruct the history of alchemy, you know? and this demonic influence. And and, the, and this is why he's criticizing Nilos, or this Egyptian priest, because in his opinion, the alchemist doesn't have to, to follow the influence of these demons that are Kind of semi gods that are trying to, to control the working of ancient alchemists, but the, the, the real alchemist has to understand nature in itself by looking at the teaching of the masters, of the real masters of alchemy, so Hermes Trismegistus, Pseudo Democritus, Maria, and to learn the natural procedures, this is what the natural dice actually, to transform matter without relying on the help of the of the demons and uh, i think in that case uh, the body the, the matter is understood as the first uh, sphere of influence of these demons so when when uh, when someone can like tzibia can finally you know get rid of this uh, of this influence uh, she she can also enjoy you know her, her new state uh, and no longer worry about uh, Influence of the demons in terms of uh, of these material uh, entities that can uh, somehow influence uh, uh, have control uh, also of of your of your life and of your life in the laboratory actually so right. of
0: your activities. Do you think this is linked to astral discourse about fate? Yeah, that's for sure. That's, that's I think is quite clear. I mean, in his
1: opi- in Zosimo's opinion, in Rosimous' opinion. The, demon, the, the way in which the demons can influence your life is through, let's say, the, a kind of astrological influence. And uh, what they want to, to achieve is to free himself from the influence of the, of this, of the fate, a marmene in Greek, that is actually the, the way in which the demons can control the human body through the astral influences.
0: So this is really very at home, this worldview is very at home in the Hermetica. Um, yeah. Not all the Hermetica, of course, but uh, a lot of them. This is, is a very strong thing. There is a,
1: I remember, I think it's quoted in the recent book by Hanagorath uh, Hermeticism, where there is this wonderful passage where all the influence of the demons on every single part of our body, the, you know, the blood, the, the single organs, the spleen, can be actually and that can be described in the Hermetic. So I think this is the kind of framework in which Zosimus was, was, was developing his own demonology.
0: The rather sublime advice he gives is, as you say, it's really hard to square. It's really hard to figure out how it fits into the whole, his whole worldview, which is, you know, basically like we've, this whole time we've been talking about matter and as alchemists, we're fundamentally trying to figure matter out and, and make it better and figure out how to perfect it, maybe free it from demonic influences, among other things. Uh, but in the end, you got to spit on the body and, and hasten toward the noose, right?
1: It depends if it, this is the end, I mean, or it's just, you know, a stage in the, in the process. Maybe at some in some, at some point, you have to forget your body, you have to, to focus on the spirit, if you want, but uh, without, uh, maybe at the next step is to, to go back to the new body, to right. go back to some kind of perfected body. Yeah. That is what you can achieve through these processes. So I don't know if, because in that passage, I mean, there is also a, in the same passage where Zosimus says, that at this point, you can also deal with demons, but you have to learn how to make demons go away, not how to attract them. Right. So I think I know that the passage is, is often used as, a, as an evidence of kind of agnostic say, approach yeah. of, of Zosimus, but um, I don't think that is uh, we, we can basically use this passage to interpret all the all the all the, the attitude, the whole attitude of Zosimus toward Machu. Mm. I think it's more. Uh, complex, if you want. Yeah.
0: Not, I wonder okay. also if he's, just as you were saying, he's a bit, he's not a He's not a philosopher in the school philosopher sense, so he'll use the terms pneuma and psyché, and you're not quite sure if he maybe is conflating them and not really distinguishing them that much. Maybe he uses the term soma in several different registers I think, as well.
1: In, in, actually, in that passage, if I well understand, he uses
0: the term ule not ule Oh, so it's matter. Not yeah, sorry. Matter. But, but it's, again, maybe it's, he's... It's
1: something more, you know... Basic, if you want, uh, to be yeah. round. So, it's, uh, so, so it's, uh, I, I don't think that we, uh, as I told you, this is a key to read uh, you know, all the spirituality in, in, in Zosimus' alchemy. And it's, at the end, if we want to, you want know, to, to put together these two aspects, I think it's not too difficult if we, if we think about Zosimus trying to understand what he was doing uh, in his lab. His workshop, okay, when he was manipulating matter, and he was using the same terminology, okay, that he found in texts talking about, uh, say, how to free your your soul or your pneuma from your body, how you how you can perfect your body, and at the same time, a metal was called a body in, in alchemy. So I mean, it's it's just a it's. it's I think it came to him quite naturally to conflate, to, to see these, these aspects together, because they were probably together at the time. Just a way in which the, the same vocabulary with which he was describing his alchemical work was completely consistent, if you want, with the vocabulary that we find in the, in the hermetic corpus, for instance, or in some text of the Nagamadi library. So it's, it's really the same kind of terminology and with, with language, we describe our own world, you know, our own mindset, how, how we see the world. So that's why I think it's very difficult to distinguish these two aspects. Because for us, when we in my, in my scholarly work, when I try to describe a, a laboratory experiment, I use modern chemical terminology, of course, yeah. in order to make it these these uh, experiments understandable to other chemists, for instance. But this is something that is works for us, but for for those it he didn't have any other option. <laughs> okay, in this in this sense.
0: So as promised, we've separated out the uh, the spiritual from the chemical, and now we've brought them back together in a new synthesis, which in itself is perhaps a small microcosm of the great work. Uh, yeah. Matteo Martelli, thank you so much for introducing Zosimus of Panopolis to us. Thank you.
1: Thank you, El, for, for this very nice chat, actually.
0: Stay esoteric, old boy.